0: A ceasefire in the Middle East, but the fighting continues on what happened January 6th. Implacable foes on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike. Vote
1: for president, i like to you and think to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge. Cause they're the ones to lead the USA.
0: Thanks for joining us and welcome to episode three hundred and sixty-five of the political junkie. I'm Ken Ruden. Donald Trump may be gone, at least from the Oval Office, but his accomplishment in getting three Supreme Court justices on the bench is just beginning to excite conservatives around the country. The court has agreed to take up a restrictive abortion Mississippi law in its next term, which begins in October. Proponents of anti-abortion legislation hope that the court, with its presumed 6-3 conservative majority, will use the state law to re-examine the 1973 Roe decision that legalized abortion throughout the country and perhaps overturn that law, which would then give the states the right to regulate abortion. In addition to what it means for millions of women, the court's decision is certain to become a key issue in the 2022 midterm elections. And the parade of anti-abortion legislation that is being passed throughout the country, especially in the South and Midwest, is likely to continue. And as a study recently reported on by the New York Times showed, if Roe were outlawed, abortion would be illegal in 22 states. Is any of this a surprise? Not if you listen to Trump from the beginning. And from the first day in
1: office, I've taken a historic action to support America's families and to protect the unborn. I notified Congress that I would veto any legislation that weakens pro-life policies or that encourages the destruction of human life.
0: As activists on both sides have said for years, it's the Supreme Court, stupid. For the record, last year, in a 5-4 to four decision, the court struck down a restrictive abortion law in Louisiana. But that was when Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive. She's since been replaced by Trump appointee Amy Coney Barrett, an outspoken abortion opponent the likelihood for success by Trump partisans in Arizona is less clear. In one of those I'm-not-making-it-up situations, Trump supporters in the Republican-controlled Arizona State Senate have decided to recount the 2.1 million votes from Maricopa County to see if Biden or George Soros or the Chinese or the Martians stole the election from Trump. In a plan concocted by and operating on behalf of Republicans, They have brought in private contractors to see what they can find out. For the longest time, Karen Fan, the Senate president, thought this was a swell idea. That is, until it became the subject of widespread derision and mockery. Here was Jack Sellers, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, and a Republican who couldn't hide his disdain over his state and party becoming such a laughingstock.
1: WE'RE HERE TO DISCUSS A LETTER FROM THE PRESIDENT OF OUR STATE SENATE ASKING THE BOARD TO EXPLAIN ITSELF. THIS BOARD IS DONE EXPLAINING ANYTHING TO THESE PEOPLE WHO ARE PLAYING INVESTIGATOR WITH OUR CONSTITUENTS' BALLOTS AND EQUIPMENT PAID FOR WITH REAL PEOPLE'S TAX DOLLARS. PEOPLE'S BALLOTS AND MONEY ARE NOT MAKE-BELIEVE, It's time to be done with this craziness and get on with our county's critical business. We will be reviewing a response to the State Senate President's attempt at legitimizing a grift disguised as an audit. One should be more concerned about what this exercise is costing us in time and money and why the ninjas can't even find files that were already given to them by
0: Maricopa County. But while it may be embarrassing for Trump supporters in Arizona, it's gotten dangerous for one Trump supporter in Florida. Congressman Matt Gaetz, an over-the-top protector of the former president, who has been going after Trump's critics with venom, is now thought to be in some serious legal difficulty. On Monday, his close associate, Joel Greenberg, pleaded guilty to, among other things, sex trafficking of a 17-year-old girl. It's been reported that Greenberg, who has agreed to a plea deal, has told investigators he witnessed Gates having sex with this same underage girl and that she was paid for the sex. Gates has denied all of this. A smarmy Greenberg attorney had this to say to reporters this week. Does my client have information that could uh, hurt uh, an elected official? I guess this is just, you know... Must see television. You'll just have to wait and see. Right now, all we know is that prosecutors are going to wait and see what Greenberg has to offer, especially when it comes to information about Gates, before deciding whether to go lenient with sentencing for him. Greenberg has reportedly told people that he hired women to have sex with him, Gates, and others, and supplied them with ecstasy. For his part, Gates is reported to have passed around his iPhone on the House floor to share photographs and videos of naked women to his colleagues. That has not been confirmed either. One thing is sure, Gates is not backing down or going into hiding. In fact, he's launched a nationwide America First tour with fellow controversial House member Marjorie Taylor Greene. Their maiden rally was a few weeks ago in Florida.
1: This is our first stop, but there will be many more, and... America's greatest president and the undisputed leader of the Republican Party, Donald J. Trump might join us on a few.
0: The career of Matt Gates may or may not come to an end with this sordid story, but that doesn't stop us from morphing this week's trivia question. Who was the last Republican member of Congress to resign because of a sex scandal? Send your answer to trivia at krpoliticaljunkie.com. We'll select the winner at random from the bunch. The winner will get a fabulous vintage Political Junkie button. Again, that's trivia at krpoliticaljunkie.com. We'll reveal the answer and winner of last week's trivia question later in the show, so stay tuned. Little children, you better not
1: tell on
2: me. I'm telling you,
1: little children... You better tell what you see And if you're good I'll give you candy And a quarter If you are quiet,
0: Like you ought to be And keep the secret with me Any chance that the Republican Party was going to break free from former President Donald Trump and his lies and conspiracy theories came to an end last week. Liz Cheney, the congresswoman from Wyoming and the party's number three in the House leadership, was ousted from her position. Her sin? Not because she wasn't sufficiently conservative. On the contrary, she's one of the most conservative members of the House. No, her sin was her refusal to back down from criticizing Trump for his falsehoods, both about the 2020 election and the insurrection that was launched on his behalf two months later. It's true Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, was not shy about blaming Trump for his role in the January 6th rebellion. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters.
3: He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action, President Trump, accept his share of responsibility, quell the brewing unrest, and ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his
0: term. But not long after, McCarthy and Trump were pictured together smiling and beaming at Mar-a-Lago, showing that McCarthy's critical words were somewhat hollow. Cheney refused to play that game, and she was ousted from her position.
2: We uh, uh, have had the the conference meeting. Uh, I uh, am absolutely committed, as I said last night, uh, and as I said just now to my colleagues,
3: uh, that we must go forward uh, based on truth. We cannot both uh, embrace the big lie and embrace the Constitution. And going forward, uh, the nation needs it. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. Uh, the nation needs a party that, uh, that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. And I am committed and dedicated to ensuring uh, that that's how this party goes forward. And I plan to lead the fight to do that.
0: The question remains whether Cheney, now out of the leadership, can make changes in her party from within. Aside from Adam Kinzinger of Illinois and sometimes Ken Buck of Colorado, few House Republicans stood up to defend her. One suggestion, which we've heard many times in the past, when the party was in trouble, for example, after the Goldwater debacle or during Watergate, was forming a completely new Republican Party, away from the Trump lies, but still on a conservative path so it could stand up to Biden and the Democrats, starting in next year's midterm elections. Barbara Comstock is a former Republican congresswoman from Virginia who is anything but a Trump acolyte. Her name has been mentioned as part of a group of Republicans calling for a totally new party. Congresswoman, it's great having you on The Political Junkie.
2: Good to be with you.
0: Well, it's great to have you, and I really appreciate it. And I guess I just want to talk about the former president starting with this, because uh, he was twice impeached. He's under investigation in New York for assorted misdeeds. He proudly egged on the seditionists on January 6th. What is the hold Donald Trump has over the Republican Party?
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. And I think it's a hold that is is weakening, even though it still has very loud voices, and most notably his own. Um, So I actually, you know, the the group that has formed to kind of challenge the, you know, Trump sycophancy um, is made up of people who are Republicans, former Republicans and independents. And among that group, some want to leave the party. I am uh, still in the wing of, and I think it's kind of the majority of the group, to try and reform and, um, you know, get the party more forward-looking post-Trump, post-pandemic. So I realize it's um, a little bit Pollyannish. A lot of people think it's just gone too far. But I certainly know that in my political lifetime, I have, you see things change pretty quickly. So I always think doing the right thing and, and standing up on principle is something that, in the long run, is uh, is productive. So that's what I'm doing. But more importantly, I think it's important to stand with those who are in office and be a support system for them to thank them for. You know, whether it's um, Liz Cheney or or Mitt Romney or Ben Sasse. um Adam Kinzinger you mentioned today, Fred Upton was out there making clear that he supported Liz Cheney and was sorry to see. Um what had happened last week, so I think there still is a silent majority and, and as I talk to members, either House or Senate, I do get the sense that you know if he disappeared and went off to an island tomorrow, there would be very few who would regret that they might want to continue to have access to his uh, email list, but they would not, um, nobody would be crying any tears.
0: That's true. But first of all, it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. I mean, we saw that, you know, people like Mitt Romney and uh, Anthony Gonzalez, the Cleveland congressman uh, who voted to impeach. Uh, Romney, of course, voted to convict. I mean, Trump is going after all of them or their state parties are voting to censure them. So... In other words, and then when I think back and, uh, you know, of Mark Sanford and, and, and Bob Corker and and Jeff Flake, you know, the, the price they paid for questioning Trump. Why should I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question. Why should these Republicans speak their minds if their political futures are put into question?
2: Well, because I think there's more um, at stake than our own political futures. I mean, I know when I was on the ballot back in 2016 with Trump, you know, I was, you know, I spoke out against him throughout that year, said he shouldn't be our nominee. And then when he became our nominee, I not committed to vote for him. And I formally kind of renounced and exited any support, you know, any possibility of support for him when the Access Hollywood tape came out. And that was still three weeks or more before the election. So, I felt it was a fairly easy decision at that point. I was surprised, frankly, that there weren't more. I remember firing off an email to a couple of the people I knew who were on staff at the campaign saying, you got to leave, you know, this isn't who we are kind of thing. So it it certainly is uh, distressing. But I think January 6th was the time where it really changed that no matter, you know, maybe, you know, if you cared about judges, you care about policy, you know, I understand people want to, you know, it's a binary choice whether you're voting for Trump or Hillary or then Trump or Biden. But after January 6th, when it was clear he had lost, well, it was clear he had lost in November, but after January 6th and the insurrection and his role in that, I think it was very clear this is somebody who, you know, was, you know, some people have described it as a cancer. I've, I'd i like to think of it as a passing political kidney stone or gallstone. It's very painful It's not fun, but it does not have to be fatal and usually is not fatal. So I think it's important to stand up and fight, and I do think courage is contagious, and I certainly know that it's lonely when you're an Adam Kinzinger or Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney. So the group of us on the outside felt like we wanted to stand up and add our voices, really to kind of tell a lot of the people who we know in there who are quiet but supportive that there's more support out here than you might think. And a lot of the, you know, polite, nice standard Republicans aren't the ones out there with pitchforks screaming and yelling the way a Matt Gates or a Marjorie Greene uh, does. So you need to know that there's, there's more support out there. And the problem is, you know, Trump has started an internecine civil war. I mean, first he divided the country and now he's dividing our party. And that is a lose-lose for everyone in the party, because, you know, politically. Uh, so, you know, you divide up 46.9 in any way, there's no division <laughs> math that gets you to a majority. So while the Trump people are thrilled with themselves that they have, say, 70 percent of the party That gets you down in the 30s, which is about what the polls show. He has the support of 32 percent of the people. So that is not a path to a majority. So politically, it's stupid to support him because of his divisiveness and inability to add and multiply. But more importantly, it's just morally wrong, constitutionally wrong. And that's really what the group is trying to do and what um, Liz and Adam and others are trying to
0: do. You mentioned uh, running uh, with and against, I guess, against Trump uh, in 2016 when you were on the ballot together, on the Republican ballot, and of course, opposing the things like the excess Hollywood tape. But he was also, but Trump was so unpopular in 2018 that it cost many Republican members of Congress their seats, including yours. Did you know you were doomed in 2018 because you had an R next to your name?
2: Uh, certainly, um, that's you know certainly as the time went on and every time Trump would do more and more worse things, that's and that's what we would we would see in our polling throughout uh, 2018 that Trump's unfavorables were very high, certainly considerably higher than mine. And I know afterwards when I talked to a lot of the members who lost, I, you know I asked them what was Trump's unfavorable in your district, and for most of them it was well over 50, and of that you know it usually was most of it was strongly opposed and we literally heard people you know at the polls you know both the primary and the general you know say hey you're doing a great job i've got to vote against trump and so you know just like when you know 2010 was a vote against obama you know you have a wave election you know 1994 was a vote against clinton this is what this was so it wasn't it certainly wasn't a surprise you know I stayed in to, you know, fight for my constituents, the issues I cared about. But once we were, you know, once it was clear Republicans were in the minority, I have to say I was very uh, relieved that I did not have to be there after fighting the good fight and certainly not wanting to have to um, deal with what was just, you know, everyday you know, problems with Trump. You know, a lot of the things that I cared about, I was able to get done, but obviously, for all of us in 2018, Trump was the major factor in that defeat, as it usually is in a wave of election.
0: I don't, wanna, I don't wanna obsess over 2018, but I always think of this post-election rant by Trump, uh, who, who, if you listen to him, it sounds like he was gloating over the defeats of the Republicans who broke from him.
1: You had some that decided to, let's stay away, let's stay away. They did very poorly. I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad, but I feel just fine about it. Uh, Carlos Cubella. Mike Kaufman, too bad, Mike, Mia Love, Uh, but Mia Love gave me no love. And she lost. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. And Barbara Comstock was another one, I mean, I think she could have won that race. But she didn 't want to have any embrace for that i don't blame her, but she um she lost substantially lost
2: yeah well you know it's it's uh yeah, that 's who he is that 's the kind of person he is you know and now he's you know the prince of Mar-a-Lago sitting down there still you know there 's a the funny little meme going around where he's uh i think one flew over the cuckoo's nest he's sitting there talking to um uh, Jack Nicholson, who says to him, you still think you're president, don't you? <laughs> you know? And, and that, kind of, you know, I think Adam Kinzinger is right. He's not well, and he is um, just becoming more and more of a danger. And, you know, you can laugh at him and and you know, there's a lot of ridiculous things about him. But I think this, you know, what Liz has said and what I think is so important post-January 6th is his Incitement and his continuing to claim, you know, that this election was stolen and he was somehow wrong, all this, that he was wrong, that his people were wrong, you know, that they are victims of him is creating a very dangerous group of people who, you know, want to, you know, we could have another January 6th. There's been an increase of threats against members of Congress. You know, anyone who doesn't support the dear leader. As uh, Governor Hogan called him, and so I I think that that present danger is why Liz and many of us still want to feel the need to do something because you can't ignore him. He wants to be the center of attention. I do like I, I would prefer we not be talking about him and that we be talking about you know the post pandemic post Trump policies that conservatives think would be good for the future of the country. But until we sort of get this kidney stone out of the system, this has to be part of the discussion. And he needs to be excised out of the body politic. That doesn't mean his supporters, because I think many of his supporters have, you know, they they trust someone who's been president. You know, when someone just blatantly says lies to them, they aren't out fact-checking because they you know, they think, "Hey, the media lies to us all the time, so why should I believe them over Trump?" Or even if he exaggerates, like, "Well, he's our liar; he's our team." <laughs> you know, but it's, I, I do think he is, um, he is victimizing people and creating. You know, I mean, you see, I have no sympathy for these people, and from January sixth, who are now, oh, gee, I didn't, I didn't know I was, you know, a victim of these. Uh, we are watching t v and hearing all these lies, and I got carried away well, you know that's a tough lesson to learn, but that's um you know where they're at, but I'm afraid that what Trump is trying to do is continue to create more of those people because i I think he feels like if he can't win, he just would as soon burn the party down that 's how he is
0: This is a tough question to ask you because i obviously I know your views and everything but but is it possible that that maybe this is just a bizarro world question, but is it possible that Trump actually speaks for the party, uh, the majority of the party, and that the outliers we've been talking about—the Tom Ridges and the Christy Todd Whitmans and the Barbara comstocks so is it possible that they're not the future of the party, and and the 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 Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts—that that's the future of the party?
2: Well, I think. The reason I am being active is I know, I know if Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Green and Matt Gates are the future of the party, the party is going to be a very diminished minority party for a long time. I do appreciate that they have the loudest of voices now, but uh, the, they, they don't have any path to getting majority. And I don't even you can't even call it right because it's not it's not left or right. It's they're just crazy. You know, I mean, they just are off you know, they rockers and the things that they are proposing, you know, things like what's going on in the Arizona, however, whatever recount it is, they've been doing them over or in Georgia, the, you know, what they are alleging is patently false. And if we have candidates in Georgia or Arizona who continue down that path, you know, like say if Kelly Ward uh, gets a nomination in Arizona, I, um, Certainly, I wouldn't be supporting her, and I uh, expect she would lose fairly spectacularly. If you know, certainly, if you're Mark Kelly, you are praying every night that it's Kelly Ward. And most, and and I think right now, what you have with both Senate leadership and House leadership is they are trying to keep Trump out of the primaries to not pick these sure losers, because it would be sure. You know, the kind of people he picks are. Um, chris kobach in kansas a republican state where we lost the governorship when he went after mark sanford and we lost that seat in 18 i mean that wasn't one of the seats we should have lost but trump set that up for a loss there are others like that both in the house which will be redistricted so there'll be a lot of dynamics there but also in the senate where he could uh, he's already picked um mo brooks in alabama who uh Well, he's not quite Roy Moore. He certainly his role on January 6th should certainly cause people to have concern and not. uh, Now, he's already been endorsed by Donald Trump. I think he's one of the worst candidates you could have there. I would not be supporting Mo Brooks uh, for uh, in any way myself. I mean, I don't have a vote for him, but I, the people I am going to financially support and invest in are going to be you know, the people who I want to see lead the party in the future. So that's how I approach it. I'm, you know, try and get the better candidates in, try to avoid the total disasters that I don't think that this are bad for the party. I think that I think a Mo Brooks, I think a Kelly Ward are bad for the country, aside from how they would vote on anything when you're people who believe in conspiracy theories and, you know, really unconstitutional actions and support the ravings of a Increasingly delusional man down living in a country club is not a good
0: thing. Well, what do you make of Elise Stefanik? I mean, we haven't talked about the change in leadership there, but once upon a time, she was a moderate and uh, sometimes Trump critic, and now she's become a complete Trump sycophant.
2: Well, yeah, that's about it. Um, we were both in the Tuesday group, which was sort of the moderate group. I think her record maybe probably is more moderate than mine was when I was in. And I think after impeachment, her approach changed a lot. But I was even surprised, despite that, how much uh, you know for her to buy in on the you know January 6th uh, lies, and you know some, and, and things like she has said that you know what, what is one in four ballots in that Georgia county are illegitimate. There's absolutely no evidence of that, and to make a statement like that when you were someone who's supposed to be a serious person is tragically unserious. So I, I, I think it's just sad, you know, because I, but I'm just very proud of Liz Cheney, who I think it's often said, the man meets the moment. I think here it's the woman has met the moment and she understands historically how important this is. And even if it's at the cost of her leadership or her seat, Doing the right thing is more important than clinging to any power, and I think history will uh, reward her, and I certainly hope her constituents will too. You know, we certainly have had situations in the past where, um, you know, whether it was Joe McCarthy, you know, these things happen, and history looks back on it, and it's it's pretty bad.
0: And they were the Margaret Chase Smiths who stood up to, to that kind of thing Exactly. Turning.
2: And it's not like that was fun at the time for her. We, so I, I do think um, I'm just proud of her. And I know she's uh, not a fair weather friend and not a fair weather friend to the Constitution. And it's not about sort of winning or losing. It's about being faithful
0: to your oath. Barbara Comstock is a former Republican congresswoman from Virginia. Barbara, it was absolutely wonderful having you on the program.
2: Well, thank
1: you. Appreciate it. There's something wrong here. There can be no denying. One of us is changing, or maybe.
0: time to reveal the answer and winner of last week's trivia question, which was with Charlie Crist, a former Republican governor and now a Democratic congressman seeking the Democratic nomination for governor of Florida next year. The question was, who is the last person elected governor as a Republican and also a Democrat? The answer, Jim Justice of West Virginia. A Republican, he switched to the Democratic Party shortly before the 2016 election and won. Not long after, he switched back to the GOP and was re-elected as a Republican in 2020. And the randomly selected winner is David Ochoa of Long Beach, California. David wins the coveted Political Junkie button. Don't forget, you can always find our political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at KRPoliticalJunkie.com. Uh, no justice, no peace.
1: no peace. We march in the streets. We're playing for keeps. They had us locked up for weeks. They woke up the beast. Now let humanity speak. Streets burning, they're looting. Catch trouble bullets, they shoot. shooting. Yeah. Fits up in the air. For police, I'm like, okay okay,
2: okay, okay, okay. They treat us unfair. Okay. So we marching like, okay, okay, okay. Sending all the
1: gossips, martial law. I'm like, no way. No Peace to G-Flow Syracuse blank head for get Freddy no just up no peace hands up can't breathe no just up no peace hands up can't breathe no just up no peace hands up can't breathe no just no up, no, justice, no, peace. up no, justice,
0: no peace hands up it was not that long ago when California was Nixon Reagan country but once Latinos became a strong voting block in the state and especially in the aftermath of Republican Governor Pete Wilson's Prop 187 in 1994 that targeted undocumented immigrants, the GOP has dwindled as a major force in the state. They've lost eight straight presidential elections, including last year when President Trump was defeated by Joe Biden in a 63 to 31% landslide. They haven't elected a U.S. senator since 1988. And the only time they had a governor in recent years was due to a recall election. In 2003, Democrat Gray Davis, who had been re-elected only the previous year, was booted out of office in a rare recall effort, and Arnold Schwarzenegger emerged as the winner. Schwarzenegger won the recall election and was reelected in 2006, but the party hasn't won since. Now we have another recall election happening, also against an incumbent Democrat. There are two major reasons why the effort against Gavin Newsom is happening. A Trump-appointed judge gave the recall backers an additional four months to gather signatures, agreeing with their argument that the pandemic had hampered their efforts. Until then, the effort was going nowhere. And on that very same day, the day the judge gave the extension, Newsom, who had instituted tough measures closing schools and businesses, making sure people stayed apart from each other, wearing masks and all that, on that same day, Newsom was at a restaurant with a bunch of pals, maskless, celebrating a birthday. The optics couldn't have been worse. The fury against Newsom, which was hardly visible until then, skyrocketed. The effort officially qualified for the ballot in April. So, does Newsom survive? Does he get booted out like Gray Davis? And if so, who replaces him? For that, we go to John Myers, the Sacramento Bureau Chief at the Los Angeles Times. John, it's great having you back on The Political Junkie. Happy to do it, Ken. Hi. Hi, and thank you for doing this. Uh, You know, I know there's a lot of anger in California, mostly over the pandemic and, and the restrictions, and they're angry at Newsom, but is it enough to get him out of office?
3: I mean, you know, I think if we, you know, at this particular moment in time, which is the only way you can speak about either politics or polls that drive a lot of politics, I think the answer is no. I mean, I think this is a, you know, this is a situational thing. And the anger that Californians have felt about the pandemic uh, has been placed squarely on Newsom's shoulders, sometimes for good reason, sometimes probably not uh, for good reason. And that doesn't look like enough to do the trick. Um, We collaborated uh, at at the Times on a poll with uh, UC Berkeley recently, the most recent poll uh, just a few days ago in this race. And and the poll shows that that nothing has changed since January, uh, late January, which is good news for Gavin Newsom. In that poll, uh, only 36 percent of registered voters said they would remove him in a recall election. Forty-nine percent of voters said they oppose a recall election. Now, the 49 percent, I would say really quickly, is instructive because that's up slightly from the earlier poll. But the support for removing him from office has not moved at all. I mean, it's a static thing. And I think if you're the backers of a recall, if you are critics of this Democratic governor, that's not what you want to see.
0: Now, I thought at the time when, you know, that time when uh, Newsom did his maskless thingy at the hoity-toity restaurant, I thought that – numbers supporting recall had moved up in the wake of that incident. Am I wrong?
3: There are different polls, and, you know, you and I know the the love and the hate of polls in American politics these days. Um, There are some polls that suggest uh, slightly more support than this. I don't know of any polls that get it above the magic 50 percent number. And it's important to point out here that we're a ways out from a recall election. These uh, critics of the governor have qualified this election we're not talking about an election that will be held until later this year. So that's an awful long time in politics to go. I think there's some that might be a little bit higher, but, you know, my feeling is, um, you know, when you look at one particular polling entity, you can kind of get a snapshot of their polling. And, and the UC Berkeley folks who we've worked with several times, their polling was at 36 percent for the recall in late January and still is at 36 percent. Is it a little bit higher? It possibly could be. I still think it is substantially lower than where recall backers need it to be to move this thing forward. Now, they're the first ones who will say, as I said, there's a lot of time left. Newsom could do lots of things badly. But I feel, Ken, like um, Gavin Newsom has a tailwind right now, and that's improving conditions in the pandemic, improving vaccination distribution in California, those kinds of things. And we can talk about that in a moment or in this poll, certainly seem to suggest that he's in a pretty good position right now. And the recall supporters have their work cut out for them.
0: Well, actually, this is a perfect time to talk about that because I was thinking that there was, you know, I think part of the anger that was around in the state was because unemployment was high and and scores of businesses were forced to close. And there was a feeling that maybe uh, Newsom was not doing the the job. But as you say, vaccinations are up and, and businesses are starting to open and and maybe there's a new uh, – I don't know if it's a new Gavin Newsom, but perhaps it's a new look at Gavin Newsom.
3: I think it's certainly breathing room. Maybe that's what I would say. It's, uh, it's a pause in the bad news or you know whatever the way we would frame this. But there's one point uh, – one data point in this poll that um, I continue to be fascinated by. Uh, the poll last in, – in the first poll in late January that the, the folks at UC Berkeley did and the and the new poll – asked a series of questions about how they felt about Newsom's leadership on different pandemic things related to businesses, related to schools, and related to vaccinations. Um, in general, his numbers look better on all of those this time than they did in late January. But the vaccination one, boy, I got to tell you, when you compare to late January, this poll gives Gavin Newsom, uh, gives his job, his, uh, his, his efforts an excellent score. Uh, substantially higher than the last poll. A thir- it's a 32 percent jump in Newsom's favor in this poll for doing an excellent job on the distribution of vaccines. It's a phenomenal change from late January. And again, does that does that save him? I don't know. Does it stop the bleeding? It sure feels like it stops the political bleeding.
0: If we can put COVID nineteen aside, and I know that's a big if, but what's the feeling about Newsom among voters? Do do voters like him? <laughs>
3: Um, He had higher job approval ratings in the past. His job approval ratings in this poll were at 52%. That's within the margin of error of being under the 50% mark. That is something that recall supporters certainly pointed out to me over the past several days when they were looking at these poll results. They don't think that's a great place for an incumbent. You know, I think that what you're looking at is you're looking at a state that votes for Democrats and feels as though this recall effort is still a Republican-led effort. Um, This poll suggests that uh, voters would like to see an alternate Democrat on this recall ballot. That's the way recall ballots work in California. One part is do you want to keep the guy or throw the guy out, and the other part of the ballot says if you throw him out, who do you put on it? The Democrats have the Democratic Party has been insistent, as has Newsom supporters, that there should be no other prominent Democrat on the ballot. Our poll suggests otherwise. That Democratic voters would like that. So I feel as though. What you're seeing here is more um a rallying of uh, Democratic principles. and That's the way Gavin Newsom even frames this, not so much an embrace of Gavin Newsom himself. Um, I think he's a, you know, like all good politicians, he's complicated. Uh, he has won very large uh, uh, majorities in elections in the past. He's struggled some to govern. Uh, there are some people in Sacramento who have called his governing inconsistent and a little bit hard to follow, and people feel a little frustrated with that. But again, as long as he's got a D by his name and there's no other big D in this race, I think uh, people are at this point are are inclined to keep him where he is.
0: That reminds me of the 2003 recall when when Gray Davis was on the ballot for the recall and his Democratic lieutenant governor, right, um, uh, put himself up as a candidate, which I'm sure did not make Gray Davis too happy.
3: No, it didn't. And uh, a lot of Democrats uh, then and in all the years since have argued that it led to a mixed message for voters. Vote no on the recall, but if you vote yes, (laughs) vote for this guy. And they felt like that that wasn't a winning message. Again, Democratic voters would like to see some other options. Perhaps that's because they want to have a safety uh, clause there, which is certainly what the former lieutenant governor, a man named Cruz Bustamante, thought in 2003 there are no signs, though, that anyone is moving off of that at this point. And, again, it is early. We are still uh, verifying signatures and doing all of the election uh, certification process for this recall election. We don't know for sure when it's going to be. We think it's going to be probably November is the best-case scenario. Um, and that's a lot of time to see whether Democrats want to, to stay lined up. But, um, yeah, this is one place where history so far is not repeating itself. Uh, the Democratic power structure in the state is fully aligned with its Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom.
0: I mentioned Greg Davis's name a bunch of times, but I haven't talked—nobody seems to be talking much about Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, right after—as you know, as everybody knows, right after he left office, he was in that scandal in which he had a child with the family maid. Does, does he have any influence in the party anymore? I know he's neutral on the recall.
3: Uh, I I don't think he has any. I I think if you're asking does he have any influence inside the California Republican Party, I don't think he has much, uh, if any. Um, I think he has become an important uh, Republican voice nationally. Certainly he spoke out uh, with great emotion about the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and likening to what he saw under the rise of Nazi Germany as a young boy growing up in Austria – um, but his influence inside California Republican politics is, is, is pretty darn limited. You know, this is a Republican Party in this state that, you know, and you kind of said this in the introduction to our conversation, that struggled uh, mightily in the wake of the mid to late 1990s move to the right, uh, its tone against immigration in a state that is full of immigrants, uh, both legal and illegal. Um, and has uh, struggled ever since. And, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger famously said, Ken, you'll probably remember this, he famously said to the state Republican Party in a speech when he was governor that the party was dying at the box office, classic Arnold Schwarzenegger way to frame it. And uh, those box office receipts only trailed off further and further and further as the years went by. And at this point, Republicans make up um, a decidedly small part of the California electorate. Uh, at one point, they were behind the group of people who choose to be with no party, independent voters. And so this is a challenge for them. And I don't know that Schwarzenegger would be able to do much to change that. He's been relatively quiet about this recall. He's talked about that the recall power is valid and should be honored. But he uh, also has a relationship with Newsom and others. And, you know, I think his his uh, his silence on supporting the recall probably speaks volumes.
0: It is kind of remarkable when you think of the history, and not that old history, of California politics with with not even going back to Nixon, but or even Reagan. But you had Schwarzenegger, you had Duke and you had Pete Wilson, you had Republicans actually winning office. And that seems to be, my goodness, a million years ago.
3: Fifteen years it has been since a Republican has won a statewide election. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger and a state insurance commissioner that year in 2006. But they have not won one since. Uh. Democrats have expanded their uh, their ability to, to control the state. They are supermajority status in both houses of the California legislature. Uh, they hold all statewide offices, as I said, both seats in the U.S. Senate. Uh, an overwhelming uh, majority of California House seats. Even with redistricting coming, that's still going to be a, a strongly Democratic thing. Have Republicans won some races? Absolutely. They won back some uh, congressional seats, some House seats. Uh, in the 2020 election, some hotly contested ones. But I don't think that is a cause to change the dynamics of the state. And, and I want to say really quickly, Ken, that if you look at a lot of the polling and a lot of things we talk about in the state, it's not as though Democrats um, are always uh, on the right with all the voters. It's just that when the voters choose between which path they want to go, they align with Democrats, including independent voters. And Republicans just have not found a message or a messenger to uh, to win the day,
0: we mentioned you mentioned that there'll be no Democrats other than uh, other than uh, Governor Newsom on the recall ballot. Unlike at what this ha- point, at this at this point, but but of the Republicans who are running, who are they, and and who's the is there a favorite?
3: Uh, a Favorites in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. I mean, we, you know, there are three or four names that get talked about a lot, uh, one in particular because she has a uh, national following from reality television. But essentially, the poll looked at uh, four Republican names, four Republicans who said they would run in the recall election. Uh, the former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, uh, a Republican businessman named John Cox, who lost to Newsom in the 2018 gubernatorial election. Uh, a former member of Congress from the Sacramento region, a man named Doug Ossie, and the one I alluded to a moment ago, Caitlin Jenner, uh, who, of course, people know from reality television and her life as an Olympic athlete and, obviously, her championing of transgender rights. All four of those Republicans were put in this poll. Uh, Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, and John Cox, the Republican businessman, both had about 22 percent of the poll. The former congressman, Doug Ossie, uh, less than that. Um, double digits but low, Caitlyn Jenner, 6% support. And that's a single digit, 6% support, with more than 70% of the people saying they were not inclined to vote for her. So you don't really see a Republican here, no one would see a Republican here at this point, that gets anywhere near what they would need to beat Gavin Newsom.
0: You know, it's funny you say that. I've I've seen a few commercials, and I've seen the uh, Caitlyn Jenner commercial. It was a three-minute commercial, which is long in terms of commercials, but I thought it was a good commercial. It seemed less hysterical, more Reagan-esque hopeful than I would have expected. Yeah, but it's also
3: very, uh, it's full of aesthetics and not specifics. And yes, do you need that in the early start moments in a political campaign? Of course. But if you look at the way you know Jenner has aligned herself with national Republicans, been advised by Brad Parscale, who made his way up in the in the Donald Trump political organization, it feels like a national approach, uh, not a California approach. And you know Jenner had some early media blitz; she did some national interviews. Um, her interviews kind of seemed to suggest she didn't know a lot about how California runs. Uh, which never is a good thing. Her voting record looks a little bit spotty. That also is kind of complicated for people. And if you're someone like Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, you have been elected to office, and especially in a city that is uh, split between Democrats and Republicans. You kind of wonder why is Caitlyn Jenner getting all the attention? Uh, I think this is on Jenner to figure out, can she be a serious candidate? You know, and I want to say really quickly that some people will liken the Jenner effort to Arnold Schwarzenegger's 18 years ago, except that Arnold Schwarzenegger had already built a path toward running for elected office. He had championed a statewide ballot measure championing after-school programs in California the year before, Um, and he did all of this enormous due diligence of having people teach him about California politics in the run-up to it. He met with Warren Buffett. He understood taxation. He had all these advisors from Sacramento, uh, former governor's advisors, Jenner doesn't have any of that. And so to put Schwarzenegger and Jenner in the same category because of celebrity, I think, is a, um, is a faulty comparison.
0: Let me—one one final thought. Um, let's say Newsom survives the recall. Does he go into 2022 a bit weaker? You know, assuming he runs for re-election, does he go into 2022 a bit weaker than he would have? And And— is it fair to say that talk of a White House bid, I can't believe I'm mentioning that, but talk of a White House bid for 2024, which was part of the calculation not that long ago, is that out of the question, certainly for now?
3: Well, let's take the 2024 part and just say uh, <clears throat> there's a longtime Gavin Newsom friend, I don't know if you've heard of her, named Kamala Harris, that probably would uh, <laughs> keep him from doing that, right? Two San Franciscans who grew up in politics there together, known each other for a long time, and Harris is where she is, and Newsom is where he is. I I think Washington is not in his outlook. As far as winning re-election in 2022, I think you could have two schools of thought that are both legitimate this far out. One of them could be, to your point, that he uh, fights a a campaign that exposes a lot of his shortcomings and has Democrats thinking a second thought about him and is somewhat weakened going into uh, the scheduled election in 2022. And he will run for that uh, seat again. I, I feel quite confident. Um, the other school of thought, of course, is that he answers the critics now and that he's effectively politically bulletproof uh, and that he's weakened his potential challengers. Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, was already high in a 2022 race. If he gets uh, soundly rejected in a special election this year, what's to make voters come back and vote for that guy next year? So it's possible that Newsom comes out of this strengthened. I think that the next several um, months are really key. That's not surprising. A lot can happen. I think the the course of the pandemic is the number one factor. Uh, Does California get back in a strong position? We haven't talked at all in the conversation, but let me say it for five seconds or so. Uh, The state is sitting on an unbelievable windfall of tax revenues, largely because we rely on wealthy Californians to pave the way for government, and they were insulated from the pandemic recession. So Newsom, unlike Gray Davis in 2003, has everything going for him when it comes to the California budget and spending money, and that has got to help him over the next several months on schools and transportation and businesses. A lot of time is left. I don't know whether Newsom comes out stronger or weaker, uh, but at this particular juncture, I think he's got a bit of a tailwind, and he's got to feel pretty good about where he is.
0: John Myers is the Sacramento Bureau Chief at the LA Times. John, I'm, I'm just, you always make me smarter, and you always make my show better, and <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> more you. than you know. Oh, no, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Thank you. I'm a- it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. And remember, with Father's Day fast approaching, can you think of a better gift than a Political Junkie t-shirt and socks? Me neither. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. And one more note. To those who reached out following my latest health setback, thank you. It means the world. I'm getting better, and hopefully we all are. I'm Ken Rudin. As always, thanks for listening, and please stay safe. I'll see you soon. In his with Charlie And have you ever walked down through
1: the sycamores Where the farmhouse used to